Hello everyone and welcome to Heart Yoga Radio. We're having a sit in our yoga room today because we fancy sitting on the floor. So pull up a meditation cushion and come and join us as we have a little talk to our good old mate Lao Tzu as we dive once again into the Tao Te Ching and we are on chapter 74. 75. And we are on chapter 75. So, as usual, let's have a little read through of this and then see what we think. Over to you, Dr. Yates. Chapter 75. Why are the people hungry? Because you crush them with your taxes. That is why they have nothing. Why are the people angry? Because you endlessly impose your laws. That is why they can't take any more. And why aren't they scared of death? Because you are voracious and you want everything. So what have they got left to lose? Those who only have a little really know how to value life. Well, I think if Lao Tzu was living in our society, he could have li literally written that today <laughs> and it would be absolutely relevant. Yeah. It's like a, yeah. uh, I would mind to kind of like print that out and post it to the Tories with like warning. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. the, the, the thing is the, uh, the small government wing of Toryism, which at least in theory thinks that the government shouldn't do anything and nobody should pay any tax, would be in agreement with him. But, I mean, they are a faction of Toryism. I mean, this was the, the least tr trust faction of the real small government wallers. Um, and, and Conservatives, since Hayek, at least, uh, have, have been pushing this line. You know, just smaller government. The government's on your back. I mean, obviously, it met, it met its... In, in our contemporary times, it met, met its kind of climax with uh, Reagan-Thatcher, you know. Thatcher first, 79, Reagan, a couple of years later. And, uh, I mean, Reagan put it, you know, he was, he was an actor, he was quite elegant, and he got some quite good speechwriters by the sound of it, but he said, uh, uh, the government is the problem, is what he said, you know. He, he, he said, people ask the government to solve their problems, but I'm telling you, the government is the problem. This was the, the view. But of course, neither Thatcher nor Reagan uh, actually rolled back the state. They didn't. They didn't. I mean, Thatcher waged a war against Argentina, you know. You, don't, you only do that with a centralised state. Only a centralised state can wage war on that scale. Yeah. And, and, and similarly, uh, Reagan, you know, and all, all the stuff in Nicaragua, the Contras and all that kind of stuff. It's called big government interference. I think actually under Reagan, government spending increased. I don't know exactly, but it's it's almost in, in a modern state impossible to put into effect this kind of small anarchism. You know. I think what what he's uh, describing here is not it's not that we shouldn't have we should have lots and lots of laws, but just if they're really harsh, uh, punishing, yeah. you know, obstructive. Yeah laws that keep people yeah. in the state that he's describing of like poor yeah. hungry and angry yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
But I'm just just saying, you know, uh, uh, I mean, you made the point, let's send it to the Tories. Well, I'm saying some of them would probably find stuff in there that comforted them, you know. Yeah. I mean, and that is a tendency that theoretically reaches its... Um, reaches its climax in, 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 in a movement quite small, just called an, an, anarcho-capitalism. It's capitalist anarchists, but, which, is, which is sort of like neoliberalism, stripped right down to its raw kind of psychological ambition, which is that capitalism and capitalists and big capitalists have completely free reign to do whatever the hell they like. You know, they are without, they are anarcho, they are without government. That's what anarch, anarchy means. An, not. Archie, an arch, archos is like a lord or a ruler or somebody who exerts power in the situation. So, that's why you have like oligarchy, monarchy, but anarchy. Anarchy is the absence of those kind of big rulers. And I have a great deal of sympathy with, with, with an, an, anarchism, you know. At the same time as thinking that you know Marx had very very intelligent things to say about the economy and the environment and culture and so forth. So so I mean there's there's a huge question here about about the role of government. You know now obviously Lao Tzu it's it's fortuitous that that resonates with us because he was writing at a time that's so vastly different from ours. You can't Im you can't imagine how different really. Well you can imagine it. You can construct it in imagination. The, the, I mean it was a complex society. Yeah? Uh, even 2,000 years ago, you know, the, uh, Ch China was uh, got a lot of things going on there. It's a very com complex society. Um, Lao Tzu seems to have lived through a period in which there was like a lot of... authoritarianism, you know. And, and we know that human societies uh, go through phases of authoritarianism. You know, terrible authoritarianism at the time, you know, so draconian and so strong. And Lao Tzu seems to have li lived through that, which conditioned his attitude and made him t tend towards a sympathy for some kind of anarchism. And and I think that is my own trajectory and the trajectory of a lot of people like me, you know, is that, well, you know, the government were just, like, messing with us too much and interfering with us too, too much, you know. Now there is an there is a weird overlap, and people think Marxists are communists because of the the old model of the Soviet Union, which carried on the authoritarianism of the Tsarist state, which it replaced. All it did was carry that on, really, and use it in order to mobilise the country and industrialise it, which they did in seventy years, which was actually an achievement, you know. Now, whether you agree that the cost was <laughs> justified is another is another matter. Um, but but in that case, in this case, you, you know, the, uh, of communism, because because of what the Soviet Union did and how it organised itself, people equate communism with um, authoritarianism and a big, big, strong state that manages every aspect of your life. And. Actually, it's it's not the, it's not the case. I mean, certainly, certainly Marx and Engels look, look forward to a day then when when a, bi a big strong state wasn't that necessary because people were able were intelligent enough and conscious enough to organise themselves in their workplaces and in their communities and all the rest of it. 
and I have sympathy for that. But I, they saw it as as a utopian ideal at the end of a, a an historic a historical process, which they believe they discerned. Uh, I, I would say, with hindsight, they probably didn't accurately discern it. You know, and if push come to shove, you you'd say to Marx, "Well, can you predict the future?" He would have said no, right? Except in the most broad outlines, perhaps. So you find that this this idea has got this currency uh, right the way across a huge political spectrum and right the way across span huge spans of time. And it, 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 that's because it's a primordial question. I mean, of course, Plato's question, you know, uh, so Plato, Socrates, how should life be lived, quickly devolved into a discussion of statecraft of how a state should be organised, you know, and obviously the, the ideas that, they, that, that, that Plato comes up with in the Republic is um, it, 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 it's pretty fascistic, you know, and not very pleasant. And I, I think Lao Tzu, I'm more sympathetic to Lao Tzu than to, unless Plato was taking the piece, which I kind of suspect that he was, you know. Um, and, and Lao Tzu is, is taking the side of a, a fair bit of anarchism, I would, I would say, you know. And he certainly doesn't like the, he certainly, uh, as an advisor to rulers, as a, a would-be sage, or even a sage ruler, remember he's all the time, his imagination is animated by the notion and the figure of the sage, or the, the sage advisor to a king, or the sage king himself, a sagacious king himself I mean so he's still talking in those terms but he's, he's he's pleading with those with the people he would purport with the people he would advise don't be too heavy handed on, on the populace why do the people go hungry because you're crushing them with your taxes and, and they, they have nothing and they've got nothing to lose now so what will happen you know, so well, they've got nothing to lose. It's a warning. But what, what you're going to do, sitting on a population with nothing to lose? Well, we we, we know with you, you know, uh, he wasn't to know this. But in seven, in uh, 1789, you know, the the French absolutely got fed up of unjust taxes, which were paying for the the luxurious and extravagant lifestyles of the monarchy and their hangers-on, and there were many many hangers-on. And being a tax collector was a freelance operation. You could set yourself up as a small business tax collector and go round, round villages and you had to raise a certain amount of tax and you could keep some of it. And, and it was just very, very un, un, unjust and arbitrary and the people eventually got fed up. Let them eat cake, you know. Because no bread, so let them eat cake. And that, that was... That was the situation. It ended up with the king's and the queen's head in a basket in the centre of Paris. Yay! <laughs> well, you know, nothing to lose. If case people have got any worries about, have got any questions about where that leads, that's where it leads. And Lao Tzu, I'm sure, is perfectly alert to that. You know, people are hungry because you crush them with taxes. And we're still having just arguments about tax. You know. It's all about tax. Yeah. Now, in, 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 I, I take the view that, that tax doesn't pay for anything. And I think that this is held up by examining closely 
the way the actual monetary system works with the central bank. And Is it more just it. about taking uh, money out of circulation? It's a token burn in some respects, yeah. In, in well, I have to describe what a token burn is. It's, you take the money out of circulation yeah. so that there's not too much and, and yeah. you can regulate the sort of money supply so that you don't get an inflation or at least you get some little measure of control in an inflation. Now, when, when Lao Tzu was talking, I doubt modern monetary theory applied. Tax, you know, it's... it's what I'm talking about there applies to a country like the U- the US particularly because it has a central bank that mints, it mints and produces its own money. It doesn't even actually mint it. It just allows the commercial banks to make loans, you know, within certain parameters. And that's what it is. Money is literally snatched out of thin air. It is literally just penciled into balance sheets. That is a fact. You know, post... Um, uh, Nixon taking the dollar off the gold standard in 1971 and the collapse of the Bretton Woods Agreement which tied the world currencies to gold really and the dollar and uh, it applies in those circumstances in these circumstances I don't think it does the taxes were probably paid in grain I would imagine I don't know I haven't you know, uh, well, I probably have looked into the history of this so long ago that I'm not really sure anymore. You know, but I imagine that the taxes were paid in grain. You know, we do we do know that the Chinese actually introduced a paper money system long, long before anybody else. You know, you got like a promissory note. We just have a piece of paper. I mean, money has been like that for a very, very long time. You know, money in a sense of. If David Graeber is right, and, and Michael Hudson, m- m- money is just basically debt that circulates. You know, and, and, a, and a debt is an obligation to somebody else, which means that person can elicit certain behaviours from you in respect that you are in debt to them, right? They can say, well, I want my money, I want my money by Friday, else I'm taking your house. So the guy, so the guy goes out and gets a job and works, so, it, so debt sort of pushes the economy forward with the threat to debtors, you know. And you've got a whole kind of system of near slavery called debt peonage based around that, which is another way of crushing people, incidentally, allowed to... But taxes in those circumstances was the thing. And you think about any, any society, just think about... Let's just have an, ab- an abstract society. Let's do a bit of a Plato on it and have a bit of an abstract think about a society. And what, what basically a society ought to be, and what it's what what probably its core motive in forming is, well, okay, it's almost a biological necessity for human beings. No man is an island, and that is literally true. Neither is any woman. You know, human beings are, are social animals, and it's very difficult to, to overcome that fact, you know. We can't all be man Friday. It's not going to work. Even though that is the idea and the picture of the world that neoliberalism and its various articulations pushes that man is an island, you are an individual, that is all that matters. But the truth is human beings organise themselves into societies. And if you look at the, the archive of human societies through anthropology, so across present times, synchronic, right? Look at what remaining societies there are. Look at how societies organise themselves according to their various political... Um, 
overarching philosophies or ideologies and so on, but also look at the historical record and the archaeological record as, as the two Davids, who I keep mentioning in this context, because maybe because they're anarchists, you know, David Wengrow, David Graeber's book, um, The Dawn of Everything. And you'll realise that the ways in which societies can be organised is infinite. Because the, the archive shows us that there are many, 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 not three or four different types, thousands, some of them very, very unique, you know. And so that in a sense means that if you were designing a new society, you'd more or less got a kind of a clean slate, you know. Your constraints are necessity, or just simply the, you know, the laws of physics, the laws of biology, you know, how much food can you produce off such and such a piece of land, or such and such a piece of sea, or such and such a uh, portion of territory in order to feed a population of X thousand, you know. And there are sort of like biological, physical, material limits placed on on that act of creating your perfect society. Um, but beyond that, beyond that, you know, there is absolutely t tons and tons of room, room to manoeuvre. And, well, what would this all be for? I mean, apart from the, the you know, the basic thing, division of labour. You know, you, you don't want people who are very good at storytelling fighting the wars, <laughs> if you have wars in this, in this perfect world. Or, I don't know, Built, built, building the buildings. You want people building the buildings who understand stresses and strains, who've got engineering and building skills and knowledge. You don't want them just telling stories because you'll be asleep within the first. So you get you get you get division of labour according to skills, you know. And human beings are very very varied. That is again massive variety in human potentialities in individuals, which means that. You know, division of labour can really sort of massively increase the productivity of a society. And that's going to be one of the things that it tries to do. Organise the work we need to do to meet necessity. It's one of the things it will do. That's why we do it initially, probably. That's why we can't help doing it. That's, that's the stuff that's so deep that it's biologically hardwired almost, you know. It's it's not human nature that it, there isn't one, but it's the it's the it's the the, the infrastructure that allows all of our possibilities, which are, again I'll just keep repeating a myriad. Nothing is set in stone. So the state, the you know, there's obviously some kind of directing power, some some way in which the collectivity. creates a focus of power to, to do projects which could be fighting wars, could be building monuments, could be putting irrigation, could be putting high-speed rail, whatever it might be, could be developing a health service, an education service. All of those things that a centralised state can do, of necessity, require personnel of the state people to sit and draw up the plans, people to execute the plans, people people with authority and charisma in order to make it happen, people with can-do, all kinds of bureaucrats, civil servants, as you know, ancient China, I'm not sure about the time of Lao Tzu, but through various incarnations, 
uh, had the uh, the Confucian civil service, you know, which was huge because it administered it administered a huge empire. You know, and uh, it was the best job you could get, but they were the hardest exams ever devised on planet Earth. You know, I think at twenty years of study, you could sit the civil service exam and become a Confucian civil servant. <laughs> but there was a lot of kudos and status and stuff went with that. So, in other words, there's an apparatus of state, and again. I think that could be enormously various. There's not just one way of doing that. Just because we kind of all more or less do it one way now, you know, or one or two ways, apart from a few remnants of tribes, you might call, you know, um, er, 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 scattered around the planet. Apart, apart from apart from that, it's kind of it's done in a, in in not a very great variety of ways. But Historically, it's done in a very great variety of ways. But nevertheless, for that to happen, you've got to have people who've got the time to sit with a full belly, well rested by proper sleep, in an office to draw up the plan. So the, the farmers, in a sense, and, and, and the, the, mani the manufacturers of export goods and so on, in a sense, I've got to support the material needs of those, those state apparatchiks in order for them to have a state. Hence tax, originally tax. These days, tax doesn't pay for that. They tell us it pays for that. It's, it's, it's a fucking huge fib. And actually, actually, uh, uh, very, very many politicians do not understand how, how, how modern money works. It doesn't work like that. Tax doesn't do that anymore. Then it did. Because they would go out and they would get grain and they would get they would get meat and they would get wine and they would get money from peasants who were like growing the way with all for life, you know. T tax was there to cream off a to, to cream off a surplus a surplus product, you know. This is Batois, the accursed share. Every society has an accursed share. You know. In other words, every 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 society has a, a can produce and does produce a surplus, which they then decide what to do with. You know. So, hence tax. Now you might say, do we need any of that shit? Well, in the mo in the modern world, whether you like it or not, you're kind of lumbered lumbered with some degree of um, state. In other words, of which, which I'm, I'm going to keep the most minimal idea of, which it's, it's a focus for the collective energy, uh, uh, which manifests itself materially as, as a surplus, as a share, as an accursed share, um, which society can do something with. It can put a man on the moon. It can become a military superpower. It can, it can become in its own self-image a spiritual powerhouse and devote all of its accursed sharing to maintaining a monastic community. Say so Tibet prior to the 1950s. You know, in which, you know, maybe, a, I don't know, half, more than half of the male population don't breed, become celibate, and go in a monastery and meditate, at least ostensibly. Because that is the project that the accursed share will go to. But all of those guys in that monastery, they eat. 
they wear clothes they have roof over their head you know and uh, well where does it come from well they own feudal lands right so you, you grow you grow you grow four sacks of barley one sack goes to the monastery and even in modern times that's, that's happening I've seen that in Ladakh you know it's in the like the, sac, the sacks of barley in the in the monastery you know in the, they haven't grown it it's their, their their tenants have grown it you know so it's important to under, un, un, understand all that really being as he's mentioning tax <laughs> because you know we're looking for resonances uh, whether we like it or not this is bound to happen we're looking for resonances with our own time and uh, we are in a very similar situation, even though tax has got a different kind of a meaning. We still have tax. And ta tax isn't, stri isn't stri strictly necessary in terms of money, in terms of paying for government services, because all they have to do is print some money to pay for the services. That's all they do. They control the money system, which controls exchange. Which, which means there is direct control over the, over the size of the share, of the surplus. The kind of I prefer to call it the accursed share, even though a lot of lefties don't like Bataille, but I think he's onto something. You know, what do we do with the accursed share? We live in societies; we are bound to produce one. You know, so In one society, it, t tax does, does a slightly different thing, and it strikes me the most powerful thing that it does is it inscribes, it it endows the currency of a, of, of a sovereign nation with its own central bank with a certain kind of legitimacy. Because basically, it's called legal tender, right? What is legal tender? What is the pound? The pound is the currency which you are expected to go and get some of by working in order to pay tax. And tax, I mean, they will accept taxing goods. You mean, you can have your house confiscated if you can't pay your tax, that kind of stuff, and so forth. But basically, you're required to pay your tax in, in the legal tender of the country. That means you are willy-nilly involved in the economy. The minute you work, the minute you try and produce anything, the minute, the minute you try and sustain yourself, you're involved in the economy through the legal tender and through tax. So tax is just providing that disciplinary um, measure in a society like ours. I mean, it does other things because you can use it to redistribute. You know, And governments redistribute wealth. They always do. Most of the modern governments redistribute it upwards, as they did in the time of Lao Tzu. We're, now, this is where we are similar, in that our tax system is a part of a redistribution upwards. It's not the only factor. I mean, our whole kind of economic system is a, a redistribution upwards system. It exists for that reason. And the tax is a part of that. And it ends up with the same result here, of the people being subjugated, treated in an authoritarian way. And generally immiserated, and we are living through that now. The same, and it's a, it's it's a, it's ultimately, to my mind, a power game. Because vast differences of wealth, in some sense, you think, well, fuck, I don't care. He's rich, I don't care. I don't envy him. He's a miserable cunt. I don't like him. I wouldn't want to be, I don't know, the guy, the Weatherspoons guy, or Nigel Farage, or 
Rishi Sunak. I'd, I'd rather not exist than be them people. Because what I see is, is not desirable. Oh, they've got more money than I've earned in my lifetime, you know. By a long way. I'm not, the, the idea that, that, that we want to overthrow them because of envy is ridiculous. I have no envy. I mean, the politics of envy actually works the other way. The politics of en envy is that you, as a rich person, get to enjoy the envy of lesser beings who cannot display their wealth in the manner that you do with the bling and the yachts and all the rest of it, you know. So, yeah, it's the same. He's, he, he, he's, he's warning them. If you carry on like this, that actually people will have nothing to lose. And we know where that leads, and I'm sure he did. So why are the people angry? Because you endlessly impose your laws. That is why they can't take any more. It means the people can't take any more. I think in various parts of the world, people are well past that point. Well past that point. Yeah. I mean, you, you, if, if you actually seriously try and think, uh, see what's going on on this planet rather than listening to what the Daily Mail tells you, you'll see that there's, there's, there is absolute catastrophic unrest all over the place. Everywhere. Everywhere. Apart from here. Well, don't you believe? Don't you believe it? You know, I mean, there's, there's. It's quite a bit of unrest, but we haven't gone uh, catastrophic no, yet. Have we, we haven't gone catastrophic. I know. I keep saying, well, you know, what's it take? France has been up in flames. You know, they're, they're booking some place. They're going to burn the town all down. You know, they're not happy. And this is the French, who relatively rich, re relatively rich, prosperous society. But they're being, they're not. They are being shafted, and they're now. The biggest unrest was over putting putting the pension age up. A couple of years, it's still lower than it is here, even after they put it up. And people didn't like the manner it was done because it was done extra parliamentary through some kind of loophole. So, you know, like an, whatever the French equivalent of an Henry the Eighth power is, which gives the president rights to sort of bypass Parliament. You should never have laws like that in any in any country, right? So, but Boris Johnson has tried out the same thing here. This is the authoritarian turn, which is bound to happen when the people get restless and they're angry like this. And you know that you know that if if you don't put a lid on that one way or the other, that they're coming down the road to the palace with the tumbril and some very sharp fucking guillotines. And it happens, and it happens from time to time, and it's happening in places now. The world's full of unrest, but you see, we know this. This was this was one state in ancient China, probably the size of Wales or something. You know, little. They might have been talking about some feudal warlord thing, you know. But now they have a global system of dominance. It's not. It's not terribly clear who's who, who, who the hegemon who the hegemons are. It doesn't need a figurehead or a king. It's shadowy. But we know that there's very, very few people and very, very few wealth management corporations and so forth. The military-industrial complex, big oil, energy, they've got, they've got the world by the balls. And that means they've got the people by the balls. People are slowly realising, getting, getting angry. It's saying, well, you know. And he has a point. He has a point, you know, he, he has a point that's... We said this about laws, you know, you can have millions and millions and millions and millions of stupid laws to the extent you can't go out the house without breaking the law, which, of course, they quite like that because it means that they can pick you up any time they like on some sort of a charge 
Are we seeing this with the protesters? You know, go and stand in the road for 15 minutes, get two, three years in jail. Come on. You know, you tell me that's just not arbitrary application of law. I mean, somebody did a thing on the radio the other, the other day. I mean, the radio is mostly people, you know, but but it was about like mad laws that you know boy laws and uh, I think in one one place if you if you fall asleep on a park bench that you broke the law not allowed to sleep in a public park in I don't know where it is <laughs> somewhere in England I imagine but you know just like da daft laws now I don't think this is a daft law but it but um, maybe it is maybe it isn't but you can see how, how kind of detailed and fine-grained law can get we have a boy law here you can be fined find a thousand pounds for feeding the seagulls. <laughs> Bear that in mind if you visit, folks. Yeah, because some people some people do, you know, and thousand um, pounds because you throw a chip to a seagull. So, well, I mean, you know, you shouldn't feed the seagulls for all sorts of reasons. Not even some of the stuff you feed them is not really that good for them. You can love seagulls, and no, you shouldn't feed seagulls. But nevertheless, there's a law about it, you know, and. It's, it's correct, you know, it's look, beyond a certain level, life becomes intolerable for just about anybody, even the most subservient people get fed up of being dominated all the time, with very, very few exceptions. So he's onto something, but you have to qualify it with all the stuff that I've said there, really. I mean, he, and he takes it further. I mean, eventually, I mean, what is it like to be, what is it like to have nothing to lose, you know? What is it like to be in the state that you can't take any more? And well, he tells us, you know, well, you won't even be scared of death. You will be willing to go on the barricades knowing well that you might you might not come off them at some point. You know, pe people think that people protest or riot or, 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 or go for full-fledged revolution f for the crack. They certainly do not, you know, except perhaps momentarily at the beginning, a bit of euphoria, egging each other on. But basically... No, you know, there's the massive reluctance to break, to break all that up because you know you actually depend on society. What happens if we break it up? What's going to happen in that period when it's all kind of wobbly and there's, 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 there is no state and there's no nothing and there's no law and people are running around killing each other? God knows what, you know, like, like a kind of zombie situation, you know. What happens then? I mean, how desperate do you have to be to, to, to countenance that instability, that insecurity. Well, pretty desperate. You have to be desperate enough not to fear death. But he's recognising that it happens. And we have to recognise that it happens. You know? And desperate people do horrible fucking things. Very often. That you can't count. And so I'm, I'm in this mood. I've been reading about what's been going down in Darfur, you know. Just, you, you can't get your head, head around it, but... Those people have been driven to that. They haven't just willy-nilly. There's a few cruel fuckers who will. But mostly, you have to drive people pretty far. I, I, to my mind, in many places, they've already gone past that point on, on planet Earth. It's my appraisal. And here in the UK, we might be approaching it. You wouldn't think it's in Barmouth, of course. Well, a lot of the... Uh... The, the real news about what's happening in Britain is being massively suppressed, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, they dis they distract like there's no tomorrow, you know. Yeah. 
I mean, there's, there's a whole industry in distraction. It's called the royal family, you know. <laughs> yeah, Harry and that's Me- their main job these days. Isn't Harry it? and Meghan, you know. Yeah. I mean, who gives a shit? <laughs> Apparently, a lot of people. <laughs> well, everybody's interested in a good bit of gossip and a good story. That's how that works. Mm. Myself included. There's nothing I love more than a narrative and unfolding with twists and turns. What is better? What is more entertaining for the human being than that? On the one hand, but on the other, on the on the other hand, <laughs> the world's frying. There's a fucking superpower proxy war in Europe between so nuclear armed superpowers who are not only like nuclear armed, like I mean, you could, well, Britain's nuclear armed with three hundred warheads or something. These are countries with thousands of warheads, thousands. You know, each one capable of taking out a city. <laughs> but oh no, f- fucking hell, you know. We're not going to talk about any of that. No. How, well, how, apart, how, apart from to spell, spread uh, misinformation. I'm well, that's it. Yeah, their, their, other, their, their job is distraction, misinformation and discouragement. They try and frighten you as well. They try and frighten you. And it's an industry. It's an industry. You can study it and you can, pick, you, you can, you can prove to the last fucking iota everything I've just said about it, most of them. And that includes the so-called reliable newspapers, you know. The ones that, that, that boasted of some sort of respectability, the so-called, the re, uh, not the red tops, you know, the, the broad, was it broad sheets and red tops or something? Tabloids, not the tabloids, they were, you know, it's, it's the time, the Guardian, the great liberal Guardian. No, that is, that is, that is embroiled in the game as the rest, you know. Occasionally, that you get some at George Monbiot or write some at Decent, I mean, Jones right, still writes for him, and it's reasonable. You know, they're, they're kind of not... Com- those are two people who were very smart, but from what I can discern, but still not kind of complete, not clued up. And, you know, well, they're earning, they're earning the keep working for the fucking... Egg, working for the man, in a sense, you know. So, so the, the Guardian dilutes its stuff round a little bit to give it a bit credibility with the, the common... Te- you know, with the, 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 the liberal... liberally inclined... Um, middle class you know who want to do the right thing people with a conscience want to do the right thing they get they get they get that hunger solved by the guardian and then but in amongst a lot of, of, of the rest of the shit i mean they played an enormous role in in the uh, uh, uh the libelous vilification of jeremy corbyn with anti-semitism attacks you know and it was complete horse shit Proven beyond the shadow of a doubt, complete and absolute horse shit. So that is the position that, that we're in. Of course, on, on a dare, I dare say the only news media in these days, when Lutzer was talking, was was got got a bit of village gossip and maybe an edict. Nobody could read anyway, <laughs> you know. So it come down to a local official going round with his bully boys and bashing somebody's head in who didn't, you know, giving them a hard time. Good authoritarian regime, but he's warning against it. He's warning against it. If the people have got nothing left to lose, and you're a ruler, 
and responsible for that. You're doing something fucking wrong. But we are we are being rapidly driven to that point in this country and we are very close to it. Very close to it. And there is a lot of unrest, but it's not unreported. I mean, today there's probably half a dozen big significant strikes and people who don't strike, otherwise, it's, and I've said this before, it will actually be the professional middle class. If we have a revolution in this country, they'll play a huge role. Teach, teachers, doctors, nurses, you know. And then other, other people who, 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 who uh, would work in the public sphere. It might be the public sector that brings this forward. Strangely, there are plenty of strikes in the private sector, but the, uh, the private companies are settling for huge amounts. I think there was a settlement in the US. What was it? Richard Wolf was going on about it. it the, I forget who it was. It was some kind of. It was yeah. It was the um, UPS package delivery service. It's private package delivery service. Uh, the drivers got thirty thirty percent increase. They went on strike once. They went into the negotiations. They said, "No, you're not having that." They said, "Right, that's it." And they, they, and they had ninety percent ballot on a strike. Very, very hard to strike in America. Striking's almost illegal in America, but they did. And they, and the company were back at the table, thirty percent. And you're getting similar things here. You got bus drivers got got eighteen percent, twenty two percent. In other words, they like managing to sort of claw back. Some of what's been taken them often, often by the trickle up system, yeah. and of course this trickle up, it, people think it's think they, they they come round and like rob your pockets, come into your house and rob your piggy bank. No, they don't. They adjust the fucking they adjust the tax levels and the interest rates and the and the and the rate of VAT or, or, or remove some regulations maybe on on say bankers' bonuses, so they can have unlimited money. You know, facilitating the trickle up in all kinds of institutional, legal, quasi-legal, and you know the fiscal, monetary stuff as well. That's how they do it. That's how they do it. I mean, the Bank of England putting the interest rate up is basically saying to you, you can have a pay cut, but they realise that you might go on strike for that pay cut against that pay cut, right? And uh, so the so the governor of the Bank of England goes all on the telly saying, "Oh, you've got to you've got to kind of suck it up. You've got to suck it up." And this is how the desperation builds up. Because at the end of the day, the most desperate people are the ones that can't feed their children. <laughs> then there is serious trouble, and that's where we are. Just just to end on a slightly more positive note. Little story about the seagulls, things we mentioned them. <laughs> <laughs> I love the seagulls. Yeah. One day we were walking along the prom by the beach and uh, we heard a lot of screaming coming out of the dunes, the high pitched screaming, like, like maybe about 50 kids screaming in alarm, quite serious alarm. <laughs> and above them was a cloud of seagulls. And we knew what happened. You feed one seagull and they all mob you, like literally yeah. will mob you. So yeah. it's, so that law, it seems like really, you know, oh my God, that's a lot of money to pay for, 
feeding a seagull, but it's for you partly for your own safety, <laughs> really, because uh, they because they're you know I mean they are the seagull the kind of seagulls we have here they're quite they're, like they're, dinosaurs they're, they're big, like you know, they've got big sharp beaks, like powerful birds. Yeah, and they're know. now that little humans are defence because they were dive bombing these kids and ripping the ice creams out their hands. <laughs> <you know. laughs> yes. And, 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 and oh like, God, it was awful. You know, and the ones that yeah. got chips, they just like put, they just land on the chips, grab a big gob full of chips, and fly off. And the kids yeah. are like lying on its back, screaming and crying. You know, yeah. there's little kids. So not a, it was not like, a, it was, a lunchtime experience for them at it all. It wasn't a pretty sight. But a, a memorable one, certainly. Not a pretty sight. <laughs> but yeah, they are, they're, 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 yeah. they're rampant. So even if there's only one seagull and it's sitting there looking a bit cute and kind of begging, and you feed it, do not give it your chips. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they'll be, there's other ones just hiding around the corner just waiting to come and think ah this one's a soft touch right come on yeah. lads and girls off we go they're very organised they're, they're, send, they're sending they the scouts first you yeah, know and the do, spies yeah. they and send the cutest seagull first and yeah. then uh, the rest follow yeah you get you know, like the pathetic <laughs> teenage seagulls yeah they kind of look really pathetic they, they sink their head down into their shoulders and they go yeah and they look absolutely pitiful and you think oh I've got to feed it there is even like a society for looking after baby seagulls, you know, in Barmouth. It's just wild shit, isn't it? But it's all about the seagulls. Everything <laughs> is about the seagulls. Why aren't the Daily Mail reporting this? It's disgusting. So they're very selective. This yeah. is what matters. Anyway, over and out, Yeah, uh, slice aside there, but I just thought you'd want to know. There, there is there some, uh, some uh, sense behind this strange law that we have here. Anyway, I hope you found that interesting, everybody, and we will speak to you again soon.